You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, business on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. Over the weekend, I talked a little bit about uh, everything going on in the country right now and what that means for trucking. And as bad as everything has been with hurricanes and fires and weather-related problems, and there's an upside to this for trucking, actually two. If you're an owner-operator, I think the fourth quarter could just be easily the best quarter of this year, probably the best quarter in a while. So the flatbed sector is going to be very, very big with uh, construction supplies going into these areas, uh, Texas and Florida, uh, possibly even some out to the west. We're not losing a lot of structures in the fire. That's a good thing. We've got refineries down. So the two positive things that make the fourth quarter actually I could throw in another one that make the fourth quarter really looking like a great time to get out and make some money you've got all of the uh, freight that's going to need to be moved into these areas now even if you're not pulling a flatbed anytime one sector increases it usually benefits the other sectors as well. So you don't have to be running these emergency FEMA loads to be making the money. We should see upward pressure on rates across the board. We should see heavy demand for trucks, and we are going to see diminished supply of trucks for several reasons. Millions and millions of people have been affected by these storms. Some of those people are drivers and owner operators, and they're going to be out of commission for a while. We have trucks that are flooded. We have heavy demand, diminished supply. That should put upward pressure on prices. We have the ELD mandate coming in. So we already have companies getting prepared, and that's not that far away. That will put upward pressure on rates. We have big disruptions in petroleum supplies, refineries down, pipelines down. That should put upward pressure on fuel prices, which will put upward pressure on rates and fuel surcharge. If I were you, I would spend September getting ready for the fourth quarter. If you've got lots of freight rates are going up right now, I would be moving it. 
I would also be thinking about maintenance that needs to be done, time off, take it now for the rest of September, get your truck ready, get all your services done, um, get your affairs in order, and I would be ready to really work hard in the fourth quarter, and I think there's going to be a lot of money to be made. Uh, it also looks like it could be a pretty active hurricane season. We may see more of this. So now is the time to get your affairs in order. Again, make sure your truck's serviced. All of those kind of things are taken care of. And let's get ready to move a lot of freight in the fourth quarter and uh, make some money doing it. All right, I'm going to get to some phone calls, see what it is you want to talk about tonight. Let's start off in Texas. Joe, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, young man. How are you doing? Doing great. What's on your mind today? I'm getting my ducks in a row just as you uh, recommend. Brilliant minds think alike. Um, going to get my truck uh, serviced and taken care of, and that fourth quarter is going to be in the, what I'm after. Uh, but what I called specifically about today was high soot and uh, my Detroit Series 60 engine. Um, it's bringing me a little bit of concern, getting a little bit of blow-by, uh, run the fleet air filter, have the Pittsburgh Power Turbo and exhaust manifold, have the flow-through muffler. Um, but the only thing came back on my oil sample was high soot, which, uh, of course, I immediately went to the air filter and cleaned it and serviced it. Uh, but uh, still concerned with that. Any thoughts uh, on where I may look at or what I should do while I'm uh, doing some services uh, in the next week or so? What year is it? It's a 2000 model, uh, Series 60. Uh, it's been re rebuilt uh, with an end frame um, approximately uh, 485,000 miles ago. Okay. And how many miles were on the oil and what was the soot reading? Uh, approximately 15,000 um, soot. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get it done through Polaris Labs last time because I was out of materials and had it done at okay. the rig's cat. But uh, let's see here if it has a number on it. Um, so let me see here. Uh, oil sample, there it is right there. Let's see if it'll give me a number. I don't like these other oil samples. I like my Polaris Labs. I know, um, me too. But uh, that um, particular one did not give me the sample I was looking for. Okay. Um, so did they flag it as being high? Yes, yes. Okay. Th and they that did probably flag it as being high. That probably tells me all I need to know, because a lot of times when you hear me going over a Polaris sample and we're talking about soot, it's not even high enough to get flagged, but it's high enough for me to be concerned. If yours got flagged, then right. that tells me it was pretty high, because um, they'll, they'll go way, way up on soot before they flag it, because what they're looking for is whether or not there's enough soot to do any damage. What I'm looking right. for is the soot there in the first place, because if the engine's running properly, it shouldn't be there. So you were looking in all the right places. That's the first place we go to intake, exhaust, make sure we have good airflow everywhere. 
Um, the next place I would go, was there any fuel dilution noted or did you notice that the viscosity had dropped? I'm looking in here now. I've got it pulled up in front of me here on this one. It's just not as easy to read as Polaris. Um, right. Gosh. So I'm looking in here. Um, FE35 CR2 SI9 NA4 K9. I don't even know their differentials in here. Um, uh, CA, whatever that is, 2227, magnesium, I guess it's 70, zinc 1235, P, whatever P is, at 1006. So, I don't know. Nothing's jumping out there. The, no, the, viscosity what, was 14.4 uh, is what it's showing. Okay, uh, so we haven't v, lost that viscosity. What what I was looking right. for there is when injectors start to go bad, we'll get high uh -huh. soot. Normally, you'll also gotcha. get high fuel, but a lot of these labs aren't able to read fuel properly anymore. So then secondary, we look at viscosity. Well, your viscosity is right. fine. So it's not, I don't think there's any fuel in that sample, which would rule out injectors. And right. you're probably looking at uh, a valve set just way out of whack somewhere. Gotcha. Probably just need a good overhead run on it. That's, that's what it, that, that would be the next place to go. Pull the, pull the top off. Let's do a valve set on it. Let's look at the top end. Um, otherwise it could be ECM. You know, we, we might have a, a, an ECM issue itself. We might have a sensor issue causing the ECM to overfuel for some reason. But I don't. I, I like to look for the simple stuff first. And right, you know, let let you've already you know kind of ruled out intake and exhaust. Those should be fine. I would do overhead next. If overhead doesn't take care of it, then I would be looking at you know ECM sensors, things like that. Sure. I finally found the uh, their soot level was thirty. Yeah, they're their, using. They're using a different scale too, and I'm not as familiar with that yeah. one. Yeah. So we'll, well, well, I've got my the... new Polaris kit coming, so I'm going to rerun it again. But uh, anyway, uh, that's I do wanted to ask you, and I wanted to ask you about decarbonizers. Have you ever heard of those? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not a big fan. Um, most of the time, I don't find it necessary. Rather than use something like that, you know, I might use a good injector cleaner or do one of the engine flushes. If we think we've got buildup, um, that's what I would go with. There's the music. I've got to get to a break. We will be right back with more stuff. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothberg.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Don't forget, we, uh, we have launched Let's Truck University. We've launched with two courses so far, one on the business side. It's all about fuel optimization, how to buy your fuel correctly. If you follow the uh, strategies in that program, you can save three to $5,000 a year in fuel cost. I also include the easy button at the end of that course, make your fuel optimization completely automatic. You can check that out. That's a $15 course. Uh, and we have one on the health side, just really, really popular course about how to get started in the keto lifestyle, what kind of food to eat, what not to eat, how to do it on the road, how to measure, what to do if you're diabetic or have high blood pressure and you're on medication. We cover everything. Uh, we have lots and lots of new courses that will be coming out. We're going to try to release a course each month or more. So check that out. The uh, keto course is only $29, um, lots of information in there. So you can find them at letstruck.com. And again, we're going to be putting out more of those. So go check that out. One other thing I do want to talk about, um, you may have heard this on a show the other night. We had a, a guy on Destination Health called Sammy Inkinen. Really, really amazing guy, world-class triathlete. Um, started the company Trulia, if you've ever seen the real estate company Trulia. And now he is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Verda Health. And his goal is to reverse type 2 diabetes in 100 million people in less than 10 years. We are partnering with them because type 2 diabetes is rampant in the trucking community. And this is an awesome service, um, very similar to our one-on-one -on -one programs taken to the next level. And that's why we're partnering with them. We can still work with people one-on-one, -on -one, but if you are on multiple diabetes medications and you want this to be done with a doctor's um, oversight, you can do that through Verta Health. They have an app. You don't have to go in for appointments at all. It's all done virtually, and they are doing this with diet, just the way we are. So an amazing service. You're going to hear more about our partnership. Uh, go check them out at Verda, V-I-R-T-A, VerdaHealth.com, and let them know you did hear about it here on the show. We don't do that a lot. I don't ask you to do that. But we're really looking at this being a major partnership for us going forward. And we want to help out the industry. Verda Health has the uh, resources to help us do that. So check it out, VerdaHealth.com. We're going to get back to the phone calls. Let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, can you leapfrog me one spot and come back? I can do that. We will be right back to you. I'm going to head off to, well, we'll stay right there in Ohio, but we'll talk to James instead. James, welcome to the program. It's your turn. Sir, good afternoon. I appreciate your help. Uh, just got two questions for you, one being a maintenance issue. Um, can you over-grease your grease fittings? And I'll uh, tell you why I'm asking. I got new kingpins put in not too long ago. Talking to the gentleman, he was like, you know, if you keep fresh grease in these, these kingpins will last you forever. 
and um, so I, you know, grease everything religiously. Every two weeks, I'm hitting on my grease points. But I heard on another maintenance show, uh, not on your show, uh, had, they had a, a service tech on there. He said, "Yeah, you can over grease. Uh, be careful, don't over grease, especially in the winter." And I'm kind of confused on on that. Yeah, I would say no, um, and and here's why. Grease fittings are designed to allow grease out. I mean, that's why we get buildup. It, it's kind of a one-way. In my opinion, the more fresh grease you keep pushing out, the less chance of dirt and contaminants to get back in. And I'll tell you another reason why I don't believe that over-greasing, unless you put too much pressure on a certain component and maybe blow out a seal, that would be different, but normal greasing won't do that. The, the fitting is designed to release that excess grease. One of the best maintenance add-ons I ever put on any of my trucks, and I started this back in the mid-90s, was an automatic lube system. So you, would, you mounted a, a big grease canister back on the frame rails, and then you would plumb lines and fittings out to every grease fitting on the truck, and then you could set how often this thing would shoot grease through the lines. And literally, it would grease the truck all day long going down the road. I Every truck I ever put that system on went a million plus miles without a single greased component ever failing. If you keep fresh grease pushing through a component, and no contaminant can get back in, that component is designed to last forever. And th they, it was really amazing. The only downside was you did get a lot of grease buildup on the outside of all the fittings. So I just had it scheduled once a quarter. I'd just go in with a steam cleaner and blast them all off. Um, but that leads me to believe that now you really can't over-grease a fitting. You just keep pushing fresh grease through it. Gotcha. All righty. Uh, sir, my second question is uh, regarding a uh, plating issue. I recently purchased a, uh, a drive-in trailer. Uh, I have my own authority. And do you have an opinion one way or the other? Should I plate and register that in my business name or in my personal name? That's one of those things that people ask about and worry about and of all the years of me owning commercial vehicles, trucks, trailers, coaches, whatever, it's never once mattered. I have, I, I had a corporation once with 11 trucks and I swear that they were probably in five different names. It was just the way it worked out. My brother would go to buy a truck for me because I'd be out of town and he'd end up putting his name on it. I'd buy one and put my name on it. The next time I'd go buy one, I'd put the corporation name on it. Then I changed corporations and I had vehicles with a different name. I don't know who it would ever matter to is, is really what it comes down to. I've been through IRS audits where even though you're depreciating all that equipment, they never say a thing about it. So I don't know where it would ever matter. In all my experience of doing this for years and years, I've never seen it matter what's actually on the title. Now, did you say you had your own authority? Yes, sir. That may be the exception. I would be a little more careful because sometimes that comes down to some FMCSA audit kind of stuff. 
So I'm, I'm looking mostly at state license bureaus, the IRS in an audit, those kind of things. It's never mattered. They get a little pickier with your authority that the, the authority in the vehicles are in the, I would keep them in the corporate name or whatever you applied for the authority under that you want to be consistent with that name. Okay, that makes sense. Good deal. I appreciate your help, sir, and thanks for the advice. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I want to clarify that. If you're an owner-operator leased to a carrier, and, and back then when I had the 11 trucks, I had a little bit of everything. I was leased to about three or four different carriers, one or two trucks here and there, and I was running some under my own authority, and we never really paid attention to what name got put on anything. But if you have your own authority, I would try to stay consistent. Whatever you filed for your authority under, I would keep that name consistent on vehicle titles. Let's go to, let's see if Herschel's ready yet. Herschel, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, Kevin. Hey there. What can I help you with today? Well, that first guy, I would be checking charge air cooler with a high soot problem. Yeah, that's another good point. You know, I had that thought, and then I got off track on something. So thank you for that. Good point. Um. Well, you know that we've changed what I'm using supplement-wise. Now that we've changed it, I've stopped the magnesium. The probiotics needs to be working really well. Regularity is not a problem. Oh, but good. now I have a, I have a hard stomach. Like when I push on my belly, it's hard. Well, I had had problems with enzymes in the past, so I thought, well, I'll try stopping that. I did that for a couple of days. It did help some, but it did not get rid of it, so I went ahead and went back to it. I'm just wondering, do you think I still got a little bit of SIBO and I should incorporate I, another bottle of Entron Teal? I, that would be the easiest thing to try. Um, and that that's pretty likely sometimes. And, and we think that you had the SIBO for quite some time. And sometimes the tougher cases, you know, I'll use an analogy. It's it's like um, algae and fuel. You know, sometimes those tougher cases, we think we get rid of it in a week or two later. It's back again. It, it's a living organism. So it, it can grow and reproduce from just a little bit. And that may be what's going on with you. And uh, I think the Atron Teal certainly can't hurt. And if you notice any relief at all, that's probably what it's going to be. Let me, uh, let me get to a break. I'll come back to you, Herschel, and see if that helps. We'll do that right around the corner. Don't go away. I'm Kevin Rothenberg.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. We're going to get right back to the phones. Herschel, does that help? I, I think you're on the right track, and it certainly can't hurt. It, it's You know, we like those things where let's try this. There's no downside to it. If it works, we got off easy. If it didn't, we'll have to move on to the next thing. But that seems like the most logical. Um, good news that the rest of your digestion is working well. Um, that means we've probably knocked the SIBO down enough that it isn't, a, you know, causing those problems further down the line and the probiotics and the enzymes may be working. I think I would stay on top of the uh, Trontil for a while. Okay, since I've used it all up, I'll have to order a new bottle, but we was going aggressive on the first bottle and I was doing two capsules each time I had a meal. Since I think I still have some, but maybe not quite as bad, how many now? You know, the, I, I'm, I kind of believe when we have a problem that um, we can kind of overdose, and I don't mean overdose right. in the bad sense, I mean overdose in, we can usually double a supplement without any negative consequences at all, because these aren't like drugs. Um, drugs, we have to be very careful on dosage. Supplements are nutrients. So it's usually, there are a couple supplements that can cause some problems at higher levels, but these aren't one of them. I think to be on the safe side, I would go through that bottle pretty aggressively. Okay, so do the two each meal like I did on the first bottle. Yeah, at least for the first week and, and then see how you feel and see if you're getting any results. Okay, I'll have to get a hold of the team there and get me a bottle ordered. There you go. We're still shipping, by the way, so for now. Okay. Okay. Right. Thanks. Thanks for the call. The reason I mentioned that is because we, uh, um, both of our locations for Let's Truck here in uh, the Columbia River Gorge are we're about 100 yards away from a mandatory evacuation zone, and we are on alert uh, to evacuate. As of right now, we're in town. We're shipping. Um, we'll continue to do that as long as we can. So if you are looking to stock up on things in the store, I would do it soon. Um, hopefully this passes and we can just stay in town, but uh, we've been under this evacuation order for over a week now, and it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. We'll stay as long as we can, but I would get your orders in. Let's head off to uh, Ohio. Rich, welcome to the program. Rich, are you with me? I think Hello, I have somebody. Kevin? Oh, hold on one second. Let me try to get that line back because uh, there we go. Rich, are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. So I got a, I want to know if um, I have an old truck and I put a new engine in it and what's the rules on that? Uh, the good news is if you want to put a new engine in an old truck, there really aren't any rules. Completely legal to do that. We just can't do the opposite. So they have no problem with you upgrading a truck to better emissions, which is what you would be doing by putting a newer engine in. What they won't let you do 
is alter the emissions backwards. You can't take a new truck and put an old engine in it because that would be altering the emissions in the wrong direction. The only exception to that is the glider kit. That's a very specific rule that allows you to put an old engine in a new glider, but you can't do that in a truck. What, what you're trying to do, completely legal, um, you really don't have to do much of anything. Just do the work, put the engine in your farm. All right, so I've got a, a Cummings with the EGR. It doesn't have the depth, but if I put a newer engine in it, do I have to put the depth, or can I just put the engine in there like the old one was? You can put any engine that at least matches the emissions that were in the truck when it was built. So what year is the truck? It's a 2011 International with the Cummings ISX, and I'm curious about putting the X-15 in it. Okay. So again, your upgrade. Now, I'll tell you this. To answer your question, the legalities, there really aren't any. It, it's just legal. You can, because again, you're not going backwards on the emissions, you're upgrading the emissions. So the answer to your question is, yeah, just throw it in there. It's not going to be a problem. To answer your second question, which engine, it has to at least be of the same emission standards that were in there originally or better. Like you couldn't put an 09 engine in there, um, but you can put a 13, a 14, a 15, anything newer would be fine. Now, the next thing I'm going to tell you um, has nothing to do with whether it's legal or not, but more so whether it's practical. And my guess is probably not. And I would be very, very careful when you get estimates for this work because it's hard to foresee all of the problems that happen when you start changing out engines and you end up doing a lot of fabricating and it can get really expensive. And I've seen where the estimate going in is you know, $15,000 in labor and by the time it's done, it ends up being $30,000 in labor and fabrication. And um, I, I've just seen very few total engine swap outs go very well. You know, it's one thing to take out the engine that's in there and put in an identical engine. That's pretty straightforward. But I, I you know, was part of one where we took a 12.7 Detroit out and put a 14 liter in. Uh, it was a nightmare. It was shocking how much had to be fabricated to make that work. Another one where the truck actually had a 14 liter EGR engine and we swapped it out for a 14 liter non-EGR. It took twice as long as the estimate and cost twice as much. It, it, it always looks easy in the beginning and I've seen shops say, oh no, we can do that. They'll give you an estimate and then things start going wrong and they figure out, oh, we have to replace, you know, we have to redesign the entire intake system because nothing's fitting correctly. So I, I would just be very careful that this is cost effective to do this. Okay, so probably the best thing would be just to rebuild it then. Absolutely, yeah, as long as it meets the emission standards that you need. 
it, then I would just rebuild it rather than try replacing it with a, you know, if you go from a non-DEF truck to a DEF, that's a lot of new plumbing and fabrication. Oh, yeah. And I don't want DEF, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. I so I, I would say. Any of that. Yeah, I, I would say just rebuild what you've got. It's much, much uh, less expensive and more practical. Well, thank you for saving me thousands of dollars yet again. You're welcome. I've Thanks for the call. Oh, oh, sorry about that, Rich. I was uh, going to move on. Go ahead. I've been listening to your show for a long time, and you, I, everything you say seems to save me money. Good. Good. That we love to hear that. Thanks for the feedback. That that's really the uh, major purpose behind the show. So I appreciate that feedback. Uh, I'm looking at the clock. I'm going to take us into the break. When we, you know what? Let's get started on a call here. Then we'll come back to it after the break. Alberto in Kentucky, go ahead. Hey there. I have a 2012 Cascadia, and I got the the ParkSmart unit in it. So I got two banks of batteries. Now, I replaced four batteries last year, three yellow tops and one lead acid, um, thinking that I'm going to replace that one with a Maxwell. And then the other battery bank, uh, which is under the, the driver's seat there, is four HEMD cycles. Okay. So I just had the Maxwell put in, and, and my mechanic told me that the batteries – the original lead acid batteries between the frame rails were the, for powering like the truck and starting it and everything. And then when I did, just got the Maxwell installed, the guy there took out one of the AGMs because he said the, the starter was hooked right into that battery. Now, I'm, I'm just wondering, um, those two banks are probably hooked together somehow, right? Let me, uh, let me get to a break. Um... We'll talk about that right around the corner. Uh, we may have to run this one uh, up the line, but we'll see what we can uh, come up with right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rothford. We're down to the final segment. I'm going to get right back to the phone calls. I was talking with Alberto in Kentucky. Alberto, unfortunately, I don't have a wiring diagram with me on that, and I'm not 
familiar with the way they wire the batteries in that ParkSmart system. I, I'm, I would be surprised, though, that they would connect the starter to the AGM batteries when you've got lead-acid batteries on the truck because those are better starter batteries. That seems a little confusing. Yeah, well, I know, like, my personal mechanic, he said the same thing, right? And this guy was just saying he'd have to to run the wires 10 more feet. And I was like, well, you know, just do that. But he's like, oh, no, it's, right. it's hooked up this way. But all eight batteries are hooked up together, he said, even though they're supposed to be separate. Yeah, that, Like, if I have you know, one bank getting low, sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, sometimes we can get, and I would imagine this ParkSmart system may be fairly sophisticated. What I mean by that is we can run voltage in just one direction and isolate it from moving back the other way, which is kind of what we do with the Maxwell. When the Maxwell is installed correctly, it pulls power from the other batteries, but the other batteries cannot pull power from it. That's the way I would think they would wire the ParkSmart system that, you know, we isolate a battery for the starter only. And, and that would become the Maxwell in this case. And the reason you do that is you don't want your hotel loads to pull down every battery and then you don't have a way to start the vehicle. So I, I have a feeling that the mechanic that did this isn't really aware of how this is wired i have a feeling it's a little more sophisticated than what he believes it is um that might be a really good question for tomorrow's show because um the guys over at pittsburgh power may be familiar with exactly how those systems are wired and if they're not we can send them off to do the homework anyway um because i'd like to know that that would be something good to know in the future the way I, I would envision the system, the way I would do it, is I would isolate those deep cycle batteries for hotel loads only, allow them to pull power off of everything except the Maxwell, and I would allow the Maxwell to pull power off of any of the other batteries or all of the other batteries. Okay. Well, I'm going to replace my uh, AGMs anyways because they're getting low. I just, I just wanted to know if I should move the Maxwell, but uh, I'll just I, I'll just get my mechanic to. Uh, I I would, yeah. Rather rather than lose one of those four AGMs, I would rather lose one of the batteries in the frame rails to the Maxwell. Um, but again, I'm kind of speaking in general because I'm not looking at a wiring diagram on this truck. If I had a wiring diagram we could easily say, yes, put this, put the Maxwell here, wire it like this. But I don't think putting it in that AGM bank was the right idea. Let's go to Utah. Anthony, welcome to the program. How are you doing today, Kevin? Doing good. What's on your mind? I've got a couple questions on some tires. We uh, bought this truck in April, and we're looking in, we're getting closer to winter. I uh, haul propane, uh, so I want to get the tires taken care of now before we get busy. Uh, with my drives, what I'm thinking about doing is taking the front axle, taking the tires off, putting virgins on it, sending those tires off to be recapped, and putting then when they get back, 
putting them on the rear axle. Is that is that good to run virgins and recaps on two different axles? Specifically to answer that question, that doesn't cause any kind of a problem. There there's no issue with running, you know, virgin on one axle and recaps on another. To answer the question more specifically, I'm just not a fan of recaps. But if I were going to use them, I would use them the way you are doing it. I would have good low rolling resistant casings that were my own. I would send them off, right. get them capped with good low rolling resistant caps, you know, a good quality process. So if I were going to use caps, I would do it the way you're doing it. And there is no problem mixing those two axles. It's not. It's not going to knock my alignment out, or the, the truck's running about as true and straight as I can get it, and I'm really happy with the alignment. I just tires. I want to do tires won't. Tires won't change alignment at all. The only thing they could change possibly is balance if they're not mounted correctly and that kind of thing. But they can't. They won't affect alignment. Won't affect alignment. Okay, that's all. That's the only question I had today. All that right. Thanks for that. All right. Thanks for the call. We are going to head off this time to uh, Virginia. Wayne, welcome to the program. Wayne, are you with me? We're going to try another question. I'm not hearing anything from Wayne. We're going to go to Texas. Oscar, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Kevin? Good. What can I help you with today? Hey, sir, I got a question. I'm looking to switch companies, and this other company that I'm looking at, hey, you set a, a percentage of your revenue, and they give you W-2 and 1099 as a owner-operator. Hmm. Okay, so I, I I haven't seen this in a long time, but this used to be really, really common. I actually like this setup if it's done correctly. So the way that, that this used to be really common, I even worked this way for a while because I, I actually worked for a union company as an owner operator. The way this works is they hire you as an employee driver and pay you a certain amount per mile or however they want to do it. And those wages are truly wages to an employee and they, they get reported on a W-2. Then they lease your truck and trailer possibly from you at another rate and they issue a 1099 for that. It, it, it's unusual to see that today, but that used to be really common. I, I don't have a problem with this at all. If, if you are happy with the overall pay, and you like the company, this isn't a bad deal. I mean, this can work out really well. That way you're, you're only paying um, self-employment tax on the revenue that goes to the truck, and the company is paying half of your Social Security and Medicare as an employee. Oh, okay. That, that was uh, my question. I was confused on, on that way, even though uh, well, I have to cancel my CPA because I already have uh, in place uh, a CPA to, who deduct all, I got a payroll set up. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll do your payroll for you under this setup. So all you have to do is keep track of your business expenses and, and do a Schedule C uh, for the equipment at the end of the year. 
like I say, not very common. I hardly ever see this. Um, but as long as you're happy with the overall pay, uh, nothing wrong with this system at all. Oh, okay. That was my question. Thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. I think I can squeeze another one in. Let's go to Wyoming. Ron, welcome to the program. Yeah, hi, Kevin. I've got a question about what's your take on carbonated water, like Perrier? Uh, I actually like it. Um, there's been some talk of whether or not the carbonation itself, which is carbolic acid, causes any health problems. And I haven't found any evidence that it does. So especially if they are naturally carbonated waters like Perrier, um, because they're loaded with minerals. I'd much rather see somebody drinking mineral water, whether it's flat or carbonated, than, you know, tap or municipal water. So um, I actually like Perrier a lot. And I don't see any, like I say, once in a while, you'll see an article that there's some downside to the carbonation, but I've just never seen any proof of that. So I, I think drinking, again, especially naturally carbonated mineral waters is a good choice. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. And that's going to do it for this hour. Um, these hours during the week just fly by, but we'll be back here again tomorrow night to do it all again. In the meantime, check out the website. It's letstruck.com. We have lots and lots of new stuff always going on over there. So we have our courses. I want you to go check those out. We have a course on keto. We have a course on fuel optimization. They're very, very inexpensive. And Please support us with those courses. We plan on building an entire trucking university, business, money, finance, health, maintenance. The more support we get on each course, we will take that money and we will commit that money to building new courses. And I've got about 30 in line. So help us out and we'll continue to help you out. Go to the store, letstruck.com, check out our courses and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rodgers. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at Let's Truck.com and find us on Facebook.com slash Let's Truck.